because of that public relations effect, shall we call it, um, I know in my own life, it's like compared to the years when I was monogamous and like the benchmarks or like kind of the, the time frame that I would use for like when you tell people about, you know, your new boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever versus when you bring them home. It's like now that I've been polyamorous for, for like over a decade now, it's like it's like that time frame is expanded by several years. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out of the box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of your or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're joined by Kathy Labriola to talk about her upcoming book, The Polyamory Breakup Book. Kathy Labriola is a nurse, counselor, and hypnotherapist, and she's been in practice in the Berkeley area for over 25 years. Kathy's the author of three books, Love in Abundance, The Jealousy Workbook, and now The Polyamory Breakup Book, Causes, Survival, and Prevention. She has been a card-carrying bisexual and polyamorist for nearly 50 years uh, and was first on the Multiamory podcast four years ago, I think, and we're really excited to have her back. So, Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah, I think last time I it was... I said something wrong the last time since I was never invited back. I, you oh, know, when you badly well, or get too drunk or something and they never invite you back <laughs> well i think I last time fascinating guests to talk to in the meantime right <laughs> well i think last time it was when the jealousy workbook came out does that timing work out that was about four years ago yeah, yeah that's right mm-hmm. right so it's just the cost of admission is writing a book that's all it is, <laughs> all it is. okay <laughs> i won't take it personally <laughs> yeah uh yeah so we've gotten to read this book and really, really fascinating. Lots of interesting parts, lots of stuff to think about. And I guess I kind of want to dive in just with the basics here, because pretty early on in the book, you cover the most common causes of breakups for all types of relationships across the board. And specifically, you list seven causes. You call them the usual suspects. (laughs) And I want to know, could we first briefly go over the usual suspects? And then after that, could we talk about uh, what you list as the specifically polyamory-related causes of breakups? Sure. Um, Well, what I try to make sure people understand is that at least half of all breakups of polyamorous relationships have nothing whatsoever to do with the polyamory aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're due to these seven usual <laughs> suspects uh, that plague all relationships. And I think people that are polyamorous often are so focused on the non-monogamous nature of the relationship and, and working out those aspects They forget that they are just as likely to break up over incompatibilities around sex or money or domestic issues, like the things that come up when you're just from living together that are make you incompatible. Uh, Those are the first big three, sex, money and domestic issues. And the fourth is uh, what I call the uh, some incompatibilities, different needs around uh, intimacy and autonomy. One person wants to be that joined at the hip 24-7 type couple, spend all your time together, integrate your lives together. The other person wants a little more privacy, a little more time alone to have, kind of have more of a little bit of a life of their own. So, uh, mm-hmm. so those are the four uh, biggest causes that all couples break up, both monogamous and couples and individuals that are in open relationships. But uh, there are three other very common causes that destroy both polyamorous and monogamous relationships. And those are not really relationship issues. What I mean is that somebody, one person in the relationship has a problem and they bring that problem into the relationship. It's not something that's created within the relationship. And those three issues are uh, drug or alcohol addiction or some kind of addictive behavior. It can be drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, anything else, any addictive problem, Uh, untreated mental health conditions Mm. that 
affect the relationship. Uh, and the seventh is uh, abuse, verbal abuse or physical abuse, psychological abuse. Uh, I do want to mention, because I mentioned the uh, mental health conditions, I want to make sure that I'm clear that people who have mental health conditions can be great relationship partners for whether it's polyamorous or monogamous, if they are getting the support and help that they need to manage their mental health conditions. It's just when someone is not getting any kind of treatment or help that can destroy a relationship regardless of whether it's poly or monogamous. So mm -hmm. those are the big seven causes and uh, people who are in polyamorous relationships are just as likely to break up over those issues as they are over things to do with polyamory. But uh, usually in a poly relationship, uh, it has, those issues have a kind of different spin, a distinctly polyamorous spin to it. Uh, for instance, with something like uh, sex, if you have incompatibilities around sex, uh, polyamory can actually solve that problem in many cases because True. each person can have as much or as little sex as they want or the right kind of sex they want because they can go elsewhere if they're not able to have that with the, the person that they're already with. But uh, it can destroy a relationship as well because if you're not having a very satisfying sexual relationship or not having enough sex or not having the kind of sex you want, and you go out and have another relationship, it's at least fairly likely that you're going to decide, well, this other relationship is much more sexually satisfying. So why mm. am I in this relationship mm. to start with? So uh, that often can lead to the demise of the relationship. Or conversely, it can be the opposite. A, a partner could be pretty satisfied or at least willing to accept that their partner doesn't have a big sex drive, doesn't want sex that much. But then if the partner goes out and starts having lots of great sex with someone else, yeah. you're saying, well, wait a minute, you want to have mm -hmm. sex with me, but you're out there having sex with other people. What's going on? So that can be very uh, distressing and can cause a breakup as well. Right. Definitely. I was going to say that I'm impressed that you rattled all that off from memory. I shouldn't be impressed because yeah, you wrote the book. Impressive. I put the list in here. I was like, just in case, <laughs> I'm going to have well, the list in there. Every day with lots of different kinds of sexual issues and problems. So it's, it's not really uh, hard to remember all that. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Sometimes it's uh, issues with the money. Uh, you know, if you're in a relationship, a monogamous relationship, that can break up because people have very different approaches to finances and money. But yeah. it can be... There can be kind of a poly spin on it if it's a polyamorous relationship that usually a partner's already unhappy about the way their partner handles money, but then that person is going out and spending money on another relationship or mm -hmm. they're not working that much and not making a lot of money, but yet they're spending a lot of time on this other relationship and it can create a big tension in, in the relationship and cause a breakup. It's interesting you don't include in-laws in this one, because like I've heard like family of origin or, you know, people like that being a potential breakup thing in relationships in general, but that isn't here. And I, I mean, I really agree with your seven, so that I just found it interesting that that's not one of them in addition. Mm -hmm. Well, the way that uh, in-laws and family members have tended to cause problems is usually they don't approve of the polyamorous relationship in the first place. And so often uh, people are so estranged from their uh, families and in-laws that those in-laws can't really cause them much problem because they're not really having a close relationship anyway. Uh, the, the only time that has, I've seen that destroy relationships are, uh, I work with some people that are in my age group, which is you know, quite a bit older than you are, but uh, we're dealing with the elderly parents with Alzheimer's right. and like yeah. that. Uh, often I've seen poly families and couples and triads break up over uh, the person believes that the family should take in their elderly relative with oh, yeah disabled or has Alzheimer's or something and needs to be cared for, uh, or that the whole family should provide financial support to f support the elderly relative. And that can create a big problem because oftentimes when people, you know, get married or move in together as a poly triad or something, they are not really thinking about those things. And they're not really talking about, well, what if, what happens if? The same thing right. happens sometimes with, uh, in, in my age group, people, some people have grown children who end up wanting to move back in and then those the millennials other... what's that <laughs> those darn millennials all moving back in with their parents <laughs> well, these days <laughs> i've most often seen it when uh the grown children are married but they get divorced and suddenly mm. 
your daughter and her two kids think they should back in with you and your partner and your other partners potentially it's that right uh problem yeah. so it's usually yeah, I mean, a divorce of the younger generation and there's a divorce and children involved Right. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, speaking of children, in the book, you also kind of talked about the money problems having to do with um, child rearing and like paying for child care and things like that, a similar, in a similar way to caring for parents, where it's like, well, I just assumed the whole family is going to chip in for this child care, whereas someone else might go, wait, like this, this isn't my kid. Like this is yeah, your financial responsibility. My money. Exactly. It seems very similar, well, whether it's parents or children. Yeah, and the, I mean, the worst possible situation, which I've seen, unfortunately, many times, is an unplanned pregnancy in a poly configuration. Whether you're living together as a group or not, suddenly one or more people are being expected to support a child financially, help take care of a child, uh, one which at least a few of them had no role whatsoever in creating. Right on. Well, so before we move on to sp speaking about the polyamory specific breakup causes, I, you know, when we kind of been talking about this a little bit, but I was wondering kind of of these big seven of the usual suspects, do you think that there are particular ones that are more or less likely to be exacerbated by polyamory or by being open? Uh, I think the, I think the ones that are the most likely to really be made worse and possibly end up being sort of the last straw <laughs> that destroys a relationship it are sex, money, and uh, untreated mental health problems. Because hmm. uh, oftentimes, if, if it's in a kind of stale monogamous relationship, uh, they're, even if they're not taking a lot of action to care for themselves and their mental health condition, Adding an outside relationship can create a huge amount of anxiety, depression, uh, paranoia, irrational fears, and some sometimes some pretty bad behavior, unfortunately. Uh, and it, that can really create a huge problem in the relationship. Right. But the things so, are, yeah. are big because usually, as I mentioned before, already someone in the relationship is very unhappy about the sexual situation or about their partner's financial behaviors. And then that's having another relationship in the mix just adds an extra layer of it where it becomes intolerable. Yeah. So you have those big seven um, potential reasons why a person might break up in a relationship, but then you also have four polyamory specific reasons. Can we quickly go into those as well? Yes, uh, those are uh, number one. Well, number one and number two both involve picking the wrong partners. Mm. No surprise there. <laughs> but the first one, and by far the foremost polyamory reason, uh, polyamory related reason that poly people break up is. Uh, falling in love with a monogamist. And the second one is uh, getting involved with partners that want a different model of polyamory than you do. They're poly, but they just don't, they want some, a different approach or a different style of, of relationship. The uh, third one is poor time and energy management skills and behaviors. And the fourth, uh, which seems to surprise people that the fourth, the most the least common reason is jealousy. I and feel like I'm I, playing bingo right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> thinking about my own breakup history, both on like I know, right. giving good, and good receiving ends. I'm like, yep, that one. Yep, 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 yep. You're checking those boxes. Huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah and I, I do want to make it sound like there's no jealousy in the other three models of, you know, where you pick the wrong person or where you... Uh, have bad time and energy management. But in those, uh, it, whether you pick a monogamist or whether you pick someone who wants a different model of polyamory or whether you have really piss poor time and energy management skills, uh, you're going to have a lot of out of control jealousy in those situations. But the jealousy in those pro relationships is a symptom, not the cause of the breakup. Whereas mm. the first situation, that scenario, jealousy is the prime cause of the breakup. Mm, yeah. Right, yeah, it seems like a lot of these could really interlock and kind of get entangled oh, with all these different multiple reasons that would just kind of like layer on top of each other. And I imagine sometimes it's probably like 
I feel like sometimes it's hard to point to one singular cause in these mm-hmm. situations that often these seem like these could all work together as like, <laughs> I want to say some kind of fucked up synergy could really work together <laughs> with all these different causes to really make things spectacularly bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's never quite as simple as, oh, it's just one thing only. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Definitely are overlapping problems. Usually one thing is more primary than the others, or one thing is, I just can't tolerate this. I could mm-hmm. handle the other things. They're bothering me, but they're not going to cause me to end the relationship. Right. So there is one thing that just becomes, okay, uh, this is a deal breaker for me. Yeah. 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 So in your book, you mentioned this term that I really liked. Did uh, you call it high stakes polydominoes? And uh, I guess it sounds exciting, right? High stakes polydominoes. But but rather than this being like the thing you get to do if you're at the high roller table, this is a bad (laughs) thing that we want to avoid. Right. Uh, uh Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, No, 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 I just I just would love to. I mean, I could explain it or you can explain it either way. um, But I'm curious for you to explain uh, what it is and then maybe uh, some tips on how we can avoid it. Okay, great. Well, at some point, you have to have Dr. Julie Fennell on your show because Hmm. she's the inventor of this term and has uh, elaborated at great lengths about it on her blog. She has a blog called slutphd.com and her tag is, and that's Dr. Slut to you, Miss. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Her theory about high stakes polydominoes is she apparently has seen a number of these situations. I've certainly seen plenty of them where one polyamorous breakup takes the whole poly constellation around it down with it. Oh boy. Yeah. And the whole, it's like several relationships. It can be really epically disastrous. Mm. Uh, And, uh, so her her opinion, and I definitely do agree with her, that the most likely uh, thing to make this happen is being in a polyamorous triad where all three people are in relationship together. Mm. The gender or, or sexual orientation or anything else, the people in it, that all three people have sexual and romantic relationships with the other two. And that is where the relationships are most uh, dependent on each other and most interlocked. And uh, so one relationship falling apart is pretty likely to bring the other two down with it. Uh, and now, can, can I ask some clarifying question about that? So in, in your experience, you know, working with lots of different uh, triads and things like that, have you... Because you mentioned also during this high stakes polydominoes section about like, if a primary relationship breaks up, it's kind of <laughs> more likely to cause secondary relationships to break up. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if, if you've noticed a difference with that, with these sort of, we'll call them like interlocked triads. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've noticed a difference where if it's very clearly like these two were the original with the longer relationship and then they've added this third, whether that's just as likely, like if that third relationship breaks up to break up the main couple or if it only works the other way around or if this is more stable, if they all met each other at the same time or kind of, have have you noticed any trends there? Yeah, if you have a primary couple that's been together for a long time, like 10 years or more, and they have added a third person and both of the people in that couple have become sexually and romantically involved with that third person. Uh, and if that, if one of the people breaks up with that third person, then it's likely that the uh, one or two, one of two things will happen. Uh, either the, the primary couple is fairly likely to be able to stay together or they're going to break up and one person is going to go off with the person that's being broken up with by the other person sorry mm-hmm. that it's not too clear but person a b and c you know it's right. part keep it all straight um so usually in those situations if one if if the couple has been together a long time either they'll manage to stay together and the other person will leave or go off you know or be broken up with or one person from that couple will abandon ship and go off with the newer 
person. So usually at least one of those relationships is going to end up surviving. But if it's three people that have gotten together uh, in fairly short order, like the couple, maybe there's been a primary couple that's been together a year or two and they add a third person, that is much more likely to take the whole triad down and all three mm. are likely to end. Fascinating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. not enough stability there in any of the three relationships or as mm. enough longevity usually to make it work out. Right. Yeah. Like if I'm thinking about it, like visually, it's like you're saying in one where one of the relationships has been longer, it's like mm -hmm. one of, one of the lines connecting the three points breaks. Mm -hmm. And it's very likely that one or the other of the other two lines is going to break, leaving just one like line. Like some sort of peptide chain. My experience is it's just as likely that one of the people in that long-term couple is going to abandon their partner, their long-term partner and go off right. with the new person. Well, I don't mean to say the that. Other. No way. I don't. Neither one is worse or better. It's just it has surprised me that it yeah. is just likely that that primary couple is going to break up. I think when a, when a couple that's been together a while gets involved with a third person, they mistakenly think if anything goes wrong, this other person is, for lack of a better word, expendable. expendable I, yeah. think mm. I think that's the attitude a lot of couples have. That if anything goes wrong, we're going to close ranks behind our relationship and we're going to have to say goodbye to this other person but that's it's just as likely to happen the opposite way that someone is ready to leave that primary couple that the original couple yeah i think that is kind of the funny thing with triads and quads that form is i mean i guess it's not a really comfortable conversation to have but it's like like people seem to be okay to build these very interlocked interdependent relationships but very few people are having the conversation around so what, what happens, happens if one of us is unhappy with this particular relationship or that particular relationship or that particular relationship and i mean again not a comfortable conversation to have but i'm wondering if talking about those kind of logistics earlier on would help or if it would just still turn into dominoes because emotions come up and feelings and everything falls apart well, no, it would definitely help to talk about it in advance, but would probably would be what would probably be even more useful is that a lot of times in these triads and quads, one person is feeling coerced, whether they mm. say or not. And it would be even better if everyone would feel at choice to say, yeah, I know my partner's madly in love with this person. And I know that they both would like me to jump on this bandwagon with them. But I do not feel romantically, sexually, emotionally drawn to this third person. There's a lot of pressure on that person because the two other people want this. And it's the same with quads when, because it's often two couples getting together. And usually if there are two couples getting together, there's at least one person and usually two that do not want this, mm. but they mm. do not feel able to say it. They feel like, well, I don't want to be a poor sport and be the one that ruins the party. Everybody else wants this, but me, you know, or they think everyone else. Wants usually there's, there's almost always one person and usually two because they're usually a couple people in that group, in that grouping of four that are like madly in love or just madly in lust, or they've got NRE going like crazy Whoa. Right. and they're trying just by force of will to drag everyone else along. <laughs> and I, yeah. and right. It's not like they're really saying, Oh, I'm trying to force my partner into this. They just think, well, I'm so enamored with this person. You must be too. Or they're so great. If only you would try this out. You, I know you would love them just right. Yeah. yeah. So, a lot of these situations that I see couples, I see couples in quads who are in the process of breaking up or one person is trying to break off one of the relationships. Almost always they say, I never wanted this in the first place. Mm, yeah. Sometimes the partner says, well, you didn't say that. And sometimes they say, yeah, I did. I definitely said many times, I'm not sure about this. I don't think this is a good idea. I'm not, I don't really want to do this. Uh, oftentimes they have made numerous attempts. They just haven't set a firm boundary and said, mm. I am not going along with this. No, this is, right. I am not part of this. So, but Dedeker, in response to your question, it, it, even if all three people are pretty enamored and want to do this, or even if two couples really want to do this, uh, 
they should really talk about it beforehand. Like what happens if one of us wants to drop out of one of these or relationships or all of these relationships? How are we going to handle that? Especially, this is especially true when people have sometimes, you know, one couple will sell their house and move in with the other couple. And then mm-hmm. suddenly, wow, you're really stuck. Or one person is, you know, moving from another city to move in with a couple or something like that. That can Don't sign really anything in the first year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially now with so many more of these long distance relationships, people are moving, you know, quitting their jobs, selling their homes, moving away to another city or another state. And then they're just sort of doomed once they get there. They find, wow, mm-hmm. this is what I signed yeah. up for. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. But uh, Jason, answer to your question earlier about uh, primary relationships, if there are secondary relationships, are they all going to fall in the high stakes probably dominoes or not? Was that what you were asking? Uh, yeah, just kind of what trends you've noticed there. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the key is not trying to make the secondary become a primary just because you have broken up with your primary or they've broken up with you. There's a very strong temptation. Uh, I mean, usually there's the thought, at least on the part of someone in that relationship, you know, one person or the other uh, is thinking, well, the only reason our relationship is, quote, secondary is because they're already married, you know, or I'm already married or the partner's already married to someone else. Now, that job open. <laughs> that right. plot is open and I'm going to just slide right into it. I want to be the primary now. Or the person who has split up with their primary is thinking, well, this other person, they're great. Let's make a go of it here and let's move in together or let's have a primary relationship. And almost always that just never works. Almost always that is not going to work because the person was probably uh, secondary for a reason. Yeah, so I think it, it rarely works to try to make a secondary relationship into a primary. Sometimes it does. You know, it, I, there's, I've never say never, but, but most of the time, you know, you discover that it was really at the right level before. And that, but then that often ends up with the relationship breaking up because one person or the other is adamant that they want it to be primary. And they may have wanted that for a long time before this happened. And so they're just crushed that that's going to happen yeah like sounds like various types of imbalances yeah i just want to say it's it's ironic with the thing about triads and kind of you know everyone having to be in that relationship together and that that actually makes it more likely that if one piece breaks up the rest will break up i think Uh it's ironic because i feel like the reason a lot of people do that is because it feels safer because they think oh, well, I'm afraid of my partner maybe being too into someone else. So if I'm in that relationship too, I'll be more secure. And then Mm -hmm. maybe ironically, they're creating a situation where they're actually making all of those relationships less secure. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. And it is too bad because I think people are not really thinking through the possible consequences. And again, I do think there's an awful lot of pressure on people, even when they have a pretty strong kind of sixth sense or an instinct that, wow, this, we're making a terrible mistake here, they often will kind of leap and take that leap of faith and then it just doesn't work out. Right. So, I mean, it is also true that uh, triads are really, the I think, the hardest. It's, so, it's just so hard for them to succeed. Mm. Uh, three people trying to either live together or even if they don't live together, three people trying to have three relationships. I, I mean, what's the likelihood that three people are all going to be so compatible, not only with one other person in that relationship, but with the other two and be able to make it work. And my experience with quads is that almost always a quad will eventually end up as a a triad or just uh, the two couples will switch partners. That happens a lot. Mm -hmm. Two couples get together and they end up switching partners eventually and going off as two separate couples. So and it, it's not that there's anything wrong with these people or these relationships. It's more that it's just, 
it requires such an extremely high level of affinity on so many things. Yeah. It's yeah. hard well, to one person you can live with, much less two or three. <laughs> right. Kind of to piggyback off of that, are there ways out there to avoid picking like wrong partners in open relationship situations? Like, are there really surefire ways in which to screen a partner early on? Well, as I say, the number one thing is just to try your best to avoid falling in love with someone who has a tendency to monogamy. monogamy. Yeah. And that's hard because <laughs> number of people out there that uh, are, are oriented toward monogamy or they think they are, or mm. they just, uh, they may somehow think they could handle a poly relationship and then it turns out they can't. So uh, they will try to convert you and you're trying to convert them. And that rarely really works. So. Yeah. On both sides. Definitely. If like, if you really want monogamy, then don't date a polyamorous person, even totally. though you're like, oh, but I love them. It'll be fine. It's like, no, this, that's a bigger incompatibility than you think on both yeah. sides. Yeah. I mean, I hear people almost every day saying, but he's so perfect for me. <laughs> or, but she's so perfect for me. Or she's my soulmate. And I'm like, well, yes, she's your soulmate. But, you know, you're poly and they're monogamous. And that, whether you think they're your soulmate or not, you're going to be miserable together. Uh, yeah. Or when someone says, oh, they're perfect for me. I think, uh, yeah, except for this huge thing. <laughs> huge incompatibility. Totally <laughs> different kind of relationship than you want. So they're not perfect for you. I mean, I, I, I think it's like people say, oh, he's perfect for me, except that he's an alcoholic or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> not that being poly or monogamous is like being an alcoholic, but it's just, you're just that incompatible. Yeah. Well, I think it's really a testament to the power of NRE that not only does it blind you to like the little red flags or the little flaws or whatever, but it but also the gigantic ones, the gigantic ones as well. You know, and tr trust me, I've been on the other side of that where, where, yeah, like I fell in love with someone who was monogamous and because I was so in NRE, I was like, that's okay. I only need this person. That's all right. Like I'm, I'm like full of all the NRE chemicals. They're, they're scratching all my itches as it were. They're checking all the boxes, you know? So like, that's fine. I can break up with everyone else and just do this. And then Literally a few months later, it's like, oh, God, what a huge mistake. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? What was I thinking? And I think, yeah, definitely the same thing can happen on the monogamous side of thinking like, well, I don't know about this polyamory thing, but it feels so good to be with them now that <laughs> sure, I can handle whatever. And, and then it just doesn't turn out that way. Well, I do think, too, that the confusing thing is that some people are what I call the bisexuals of the polymono spectrum. Some people can be perfectly happy in a monogamous relationship and they can be perfectly happy in a polyamorous relationship at the with the right person or persons at the right time in their lives, whatever, you know, in what in a particular situation. I mean, for some people, it really is situational. But for some of us like me, you know, I. I am just polyamorous and there's not really anyone at any point at any time that is going to change that. And mm. there are some people that are truly monogamous and no one's going to change that. But I think it's hard to tell. I think a lot of people who are monogamous have to try a poly relationship in order to discover that their relationship orientation is fixed. It's mm. fixed at the monogamous end of the spectrum. It is not, they are not in the bisexual camp between the right. poly and the monogamous. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. are. And how do you know, really? I mean, I think most people have to try it. Uh, I mean, I would argue the same with sexuality in general. Yeah, definitely. Totally. I, I want to clarify on that a little bit because I want to ask about what I feel is maybe trickier to screen for. And that's figuring out, you know, screening for that incompatibility of like, yeah, we're both non-monogamous, but we want a different kind of polyamory or non-monogamy. Like, what's mm. the best way to kind of... I, you know, figure that out early on? Or is it possible to figure that out early on with a new partner? It is if you know what model works for you and if they know what model works for them. But oftentimes, either you are not sure or they're not sure. I mean, if you know that you're in this, in some kind of primary, secondary model where you have a primary partner and you really don't have the bandwidth to have a second primary partner, or that's not, part of your agreement uh then you really be smart to try to 
get involved with people who are already partnered with someone else. Uh, so they're not looking for that primary or someone who's not doesn't really want a primary relationship. And there are certainly people out there that don't. Uh, the place that I see the most people getting in the most trouble with the uh, wanting different models of polyamory is one person wants some kind of primary relationship and that is not available in this particular model that they're in. They've hmm. picked someone who's already partnered or they've picked someone who's wants relationship anarchy and is not looking for any kind of, you know, living together or primary or marriage type relationship. So that's the, that, the, that's the problem I see the most. There's someone in the configuration that wants a primary relationship and that is not available to this situation. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Been, been, been on all been different sides that, of that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> old, old news. <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> okay. So let's shift gears a little bit. And um, in your book, you talk about managing the quote unquote public relations of a polyamorous breakup. So can you tell us, first of all, well, why are we talking about public relations when it comes to a breakup? Well, because so many people that I have seen have absolutely been blindsided by the extremely hostile reaction they get from everyone around them when they're going through a poly breakup, mainly because everyone, all the all the non-poly people around them, their family, their friends, their co-workers, etc., are assuming that the relationship broke up because it was polyamorous, which, as I'm saying, is at least half the time is not true at all. Uh, and they also are usually gloating because they hmm. will say, I knew this could never work and you deserved it and it's, you got what you asked for or something. You know, it's kind of that attitude. So uh, this is especially true if someone ends up like leaving for another person and right. then this oh it was the other woman that destroyed the marriage or the other you know the wife had a boyfriend or something you know and it was all because of this so-called infidelity and cheating you know there's all this kind of uh totally imaginary stuff that people come up with to explain why this relationship broke up and you're not likely to get much sympathy from anyone because they were they predicted it they said oh yeah this will never work and they think that it didn't because it was a, a more non-monogamous relationship. So uh, I usually try to tell people to be prepared for that and be cautious about who they talk to about it and what you tell them. Certainly don't give them any ammunition to work mm -hmm. with, you know, to use against you and kind of throw back in your face. So uh, I often also tell people if you're getting in a new relation, getting involved in a new relationship and, uh, with someone, don't tell your family and coworkers and everybody about it right away mm. because, you know, give it some time. If it lasts a year or more, then it's time to tell people. And then it's time to, if you want to take your new partner home to meet your parents and all. But I see people bringing people home to their family after dating for two months. And then they create all this big crisis in the family. And then a month later they split up and then they're just embarrassed and they've put, yeah families through all this chaos and crisis and being rejected by their families only to find out oh, the whole the relationship never didn't really last so why go through that <laughs> why not yeah. just wait till you see this is really actually going to last it's especially true for people who are new to polyamory if they decide to come out to their coworkers and their families and then they decide a few months later you know this poly thing's really not for me it's very embarrassing mm -hmm. you know you've exposed yourself to a lot of ridicule and abuse that was unnecessary. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like because of that public relations effect, shall we call it? Um, I know in my own life, it's like compared to the years when I was monogamous and like the benchmarks or like kind of the, the time frame that I would use for like when you tell people about, you know, your new boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, uh -huh. versus when you bring them home, it's like now that I've been polyamorous for, for like over a decade now, it's like, it's like that time frame is expanded by several years, you know? Uh -huh. So it's like, so it is kind of like, yeah. yeah, like what you were saying, it's like, well, I'm going to wait a year before I like tell someone, I mean, not that I'm keeping in the secret, you know, but before it's like public knowledge that it's like, yeah, this is one of my partners. I'm going to wait three years before they meet my family, you mm. know, Be I think because of that, because it's like, it takes this extra time to kind of have that, that sticking power and that social proof 
of like, you know, this is actually a thing. This isn't just some, you know, nutso polyamorous fling or, or, you know, whatever people perceive it as. Well, and I think too, that you're, uh, if you're, if you're in a monogamous relationship and you bring the partner home after a few months, you're not likely to get that really like lack of approval and lack of acceptance from your family or your, if you bring them to your company picnic or something, you know, they're going to probably like the person and approve of it and say, oh, great, great, you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Uh, but if you're not really sure about the relationship and if you're, especially for people who are new to polyamory and they're not even sure this is really for them, they're very insecure. And then to be like, ridiculed or rejected by a family or your coworkers or worry about possibly getting fired from your job over it. You know, yeah. why put yourself through that? I mean, you have to feel strong enough that you can defend yourself and mm-hmm. defend your decisions and your relationships. And if you're not that sure about this person yet, or not that sure that this relationship can last, it, it, it's really going to be hard for you to be, to, to really be articulate about defending your choices. Right. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. And I'm certainly not saying you should be in the closet or keep it secret or not tell anyone. It's just, you know, certain people that are that you can predict are likely to be hostile, which is usually your family. Uh-huh. And maybe uh, I would avoid that uh, right off the bat. Yeah. So this is... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I just was going to move on to the next question. But yeah, if you uh, had one last thing to say, go for it. Yeah, some people have really taken a... a the initiative to take like a very proactive stance if they're going through a breakup to like even send out an email to their friends saying Mm. saying this is what's happening trying to make it as neutral as possible you know you and your partner even if you're going through an ugly breakup you can agree on we're going to send this out to people or we're going to tell people this is the situation and we just want them to know we're splitting up and we're trying not to badmouth each other publicly. And you know, but we agree where we both will agree not to go on social media and, you know, vilify Dash each other. Everyone. Yeah. To proactive stance so that, you know, you don't do anything you're going to you know, regret later. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. Yeah, that's kind of a good segue into this next question, which is another thing that you talk about in the book. But is there sort of a better way to do polyamorous breakups like that kind of enables all parties involved to have less pain and suffering? Well, the, the biggest predictor is whether you treated each other really well during the relationship mm. and whether you try as best as you can to treat each other with care and love while you're going through a breakup. That's Mm. easier said than done. But, uh, you know, if, if someone has, you know, done something awful, it's going to be hard for the breakup to be positive, whether it's, you know, monogamous or polyamorous Um, and trying to get the support of your, any other partners while you're going through the break really helps 
a lot. Uh, it, being able to explain to them what's going on, tell them, you know, you're not really at your best and you're not going to be the greatest relationship partner right now because you're going through this traumatic breakup, uh, but asking for their support and asking for them to make it easier for you. Uh, sometimes uh, when you're going through a breakup, you can get some agreement with your partner about you know, texting each other or letting each other know if you're going to be at a, like a poly event or a party or something so that you can decide if you want to avoid running into each other. Or sometimes people, I'm sure you've seen people do this where one person will say, well, okay, well I'm going to go to this event. You can go to that event. And, you know, mm. while you're in the worst of the breakup. Yeah. Some people are also able to just transition more, a little more painlessly because, they can do it slowly and gradually. You know, when you're in a monogamous relationship, usually once you're starting to break up, you just kind of want to get it over with and, you know, move out and whatever else you want to do, you know, give them back their underwear that they left at your house, all that stuff. Uh, But with a polyamorous breakup, it's kind of, in some ways, it's like, what's the rush? You know, you can gradually uh, do what is sometimes called graceful distancing to mm. say, you know, I like that. We are moving away from having a romantic and sexual relationship. We have other partners and we're both moving more in the direction of making more of a commitment in those relationships or so whatever's happening, you know, just deciding that, you know, we're just going to do this slowly and gradually so we can kind of not have any sudden, uh, trauma in our lives and for some people that works other people it's more like no no i just got to get this over with it's too painful yeah okay so that does bring up a question that i think i encounter a lot with my own clients um but i'm wondering what your opinion is on this so you know i have a lot of clients and i've done this myself many times in my life um feeling like it's necessary to have a very specific period of separation whether that's we need to not text each other for a month or six months or whatever. And I'm wondering for you, do you like which scenarios do you feel like that's a necessary thing versus which are there scenarios where you feel like that's maybe not as appropriate to do? Well, usually if you're in a primary relationship where you've been living together, maybe you have children together, you've kind of had this dream of having a life together and then you're splitting up it can be so painful that usually some period of no contact is needed in order to then shift to being friends. So it varies from person to person, but for most people that have been in this kind of, any kind of serious or committed relationship, there's a kind of a grieving for like losing that dream that you had of having a life together and of having to give that up and shift to something else. Uh, a lot of people are able to then shift to a friendship. If It's very hard to go from being spouses or, or, you know, partners in a big way to suddenly saying, okay, we're just going to be platonic friends and have coffee once in a while. <laughs> it really doesn't happen so easily. But most people who are in what you'd call secondary relationships or that are less serious, particularly if they're not living together, often are able to just say, you know, let's just see each other a little less and then maybe we'll stop having sex and, you know, we'll just kind of shift gradually over to platonic relations. A lot of people are able to do that without having that no contact period. What's your mm. opinion? Um, I think I tend to encourage people more often to do the period of no contact rather rather than not. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think it's what I find more interesting again, both when I'm examining myself and if I'm working with someone, what I think is more interesting is to examine what are the sticky things there that are making the idea of no contact feel so scary or so Mm -hmm. awful. Because I think that's the thing is that it's like, especially in the situation like you described where we were spouses, we were living together, we were together a long time, you know, that there can be so much resistance to even trying out even like a week of no contact or 10 days of no contact. Um, And so I see so many people who are like, yeah, I know I, sh- I probably should, but I just, I can't, I can't do the no contact thing uh, and just suffer and <laughs> suffer and suffer and suffer until it finally gets so bad that then in their frustration, they're like, okay, I have to, I have to cut this person off for a month uh, or a week or whatever it is. Um, so just I don't too know, painful. That, yeah, yeah. So that's what it comes to mind for me is kind of just looking at like, is there a way to help people kind of hack that to be able to kind of rip that bandaid off earlier rather than doing the whole, we got to suffer through it 
until it gets so bad that I have to take this contact or take this period of no contact. But yeah, that's, that's the stuff that comes to my mind. Well, I usually ask people are, uh, as kind of the litmus test for whether you should be in contact with your ex right now or not is, can you actually change your expectations oh boy. of that person, of that relationship and of that interaction? If you're calling your spouse, or ex-spouse or, or ex-partner, if you're calling them because you want them to tell you that they love you and that you're the most beautiful woman in the world and all that, well, you know, that expectation is not going to be met if they've broken up with you. They're not going to say that. <laughs> or if you have the expectation that talking to them is somehow going to reassure you of your importance in their life, you know, you're not going to get that expectation met. So, but if you're able to say, well, okay, I can change my expectation. I can just call and say, gee, I just was thinking of you, just felt like talking to you. I'm calling, just how's it going? What you've been up to? You know, if you're able to say that, or even if you're able to call and say, wow, this breakup is rough and, you know, I've been sad. How are you doing? Mm. You know, being honest about what's really going on. Mm. Yeah, that but expectation if you change your expectation tricky. and you expect it to be the same, the interaction to be the same and the relationship the same you're, you're just setting yourself up for more pain and suffering and then you are going to reach that point where ah, it just hurts too much i can't call yeah. them or, yeah, yeah so sorry i don't i won't go down this path too far but but just that <laughs> that that i've i've seen a lot of people there's actually people in my personal life right now like close friends of mine um I've, there's some people in my life going through some breakups right now but uh just witnessing that of like even after the breakup still holding that expectation of like, if there's something painful and there's a problem I have with you, you're still the person I'm going to take it to. Exactly. You know, yeah. even after the breakup and then getting disappointed when it's like, when it's not that same level of like collaboration or mutual care that we had in the relationship, it's more of this combative thing. Um, that, yeah, that seems to be really like a sticking point for a long time that like, figuring out how to switch over those expectations. Anyway, just wanted to observe that. We can move on to the next question. Oh, yeah. You're still expecting them to be that person that you go to whenever you need support. Mm -hmm. And you have to start going to other people for that. Yeah. Which, I mean, when you're in a poly relationship, often you do have other people that you also get support from. And you can really spread that around a little bit and not have that expectation so much of the ex. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's kind of similar, actually, to, you know, Dedeker talking about kind of after the breakup, continuing to stay connected and sort of going through this sort of suffering until finally it's like, okay, we do need to cut off contact for a little while to sort of get that reset or whatever. I think in a similar way, when it comes to deciding to break up or not, people can similarly get caught in this thing of just sort of like, well, I don't know if it's bad enough to break up. And so uh -huh. like, I'm not very happy a lot of the time. And maybe I recognize that. And I've, you know, see people like be fairly clear about like, yeah, I get that there's some incompatibilities here. Maybe they listen to this episode and they're like, boy, yeah, some fundamental incompatibilities here. <laughs> but It's all your fault now. They're going to break up. <laughs> I know, right? Kathleen? That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's <laughs> all well, my fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, we do like to always say on this show, it's not necessarily a bad thing to break up um, yeah. True. But Very for huh. people who are caught in that deciding, should I stay or should I go? Um, do you have any sort of most important questions they can ask themselves or ways that you found effective for kind of getting through that in one way or another? Well, I, one of the first things I suggest people ask themselves is if I was forced to be in a monogamous relationship with this person. Would I even feel they were like meeting some of my most basic needs? Hmm, and it's not that you're planning on being monogamous, but I think one of the dangers of being poly is that you can have relationships with people and be pretty unhappy, but because you have other relationships that are happier, you can kind of just tolerate that. And so Absolutely. there's sometimes it's hard to tell like, is it time to break up or not? But if you were if you were in a monogamous relationship with that person, you probably would have left a long time ago. Wow, because I feel like I've actually seen this in like family members of mine or, or friends of mine in monogamous relationships where it's like if they have like a really close relationship with their family or they have like some really close best friends, 
that <laughs> almost like in a similar way can tolerate being in an unsatisfying, mm. unhappy relation, like romantic relationship for longer. Uh -huh. Cause it's like, oh, well, monogamous I'm, romantic relationship. Yeah. 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 Like, it seems similar where it's like they're getting enough of those needs met by these friends or family members that they can kind of tolerate uh, a not well, good people relationship. Can talk themselves into staying in a relationship for any reason, for any yeah, number of reasons, true. I think, on either side, whether you're monogamous or not, or polyamorous. Yeah. That is true. I, I do think, though, for a lot of those monogamous couples, or you know, that you're describing, uh, they are also benefiting from this huge amount of family and societal support. Mm -hmm. That their relationship is really strengthened quite a bit by that. Uh, whereas polyamorous people in that situation, if they already don't have the support of the family or friends or or coworkers and all that, they are more likely to be so miserable they will break up. They're not, they're certainly not going to disappoint anyone. A lot of these monogamous people, they're so afraid of disappointing their families or friends by splitting up or, you know, my, you know, oh, my fam, my in-laws love me or I love my in-laws or my family loves my partner. Or, I, I shouldn't break up. And so I don't think we have that problem in feeling like we're going to let people down. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause on one side or the other, it's like, you know, on the monogamous side, maybe people stay in relationships longer than they should because of that pressure. And maybe on the polyamorous side, it's like sometimes it's harder to make it last when it could because of that, you know, mm -hmm. polyamorous relationships are getting that pressure to break up. Like you, you're never going to work. And monogamous mm -hmm. ones are getting this pressure of like, no, you have to make this work. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, you do sometimes see, I've certainly seen a few polyamorous people think, well, I'm going to stay in this relationship because I don't want my family to have the satisfaction That's of saying. That's true. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly, when I was quite a bit younger, I certainly saw uh, gay and lesbian relationships where the families hated them being gay and hated the partner mm. because they were gay and yeah. would stay longer than they should just because the partner was really the only support they had and they also didn't want the families to be right or yeah. to yeah. lay yeah, them from the start. Yes, you yeah. were all wrong to be. So that, I don't think that happens so much anymore just because gay people have so much more uh, acceptance in society now than in the past. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's interesting. So this has been. Now, I do fun... ask yeah. to say what they, what they're, uh, whether they would have stayed with this person if they were in a monogamous relationship. That's one sort of way of just looking at, well, what are, what am I getting out of the relationship? Uh, you can, and, and what are the problems? But you can also just take a, what I call a relationship inventory. Just say, like, well, what are the good things I'm getting in this relationship? Mm. Uh, worth being in this relationship. And uh, is this relationship more romantic or is it actually more platonic now? Or is mm. this a primary relationship now? Or do I want to shift it to being, you know, less primary? Do I want to, some relationships you, you might be a lot happier. And if you just didn't spend that much time with the person. <laughs> and that and sounds funny, but that's totally that's true. So true. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you know, change the agreement with yeah. your partner you know, they may not be happy about being demoted to more being more secondary, or they might be like, well, yeah, that'd probably be fine. So, I mean, both people have to agree that less is much better or less is at least as okay as, as more in terms of time and commitment. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So this has been a fascinating discussion. Um, we could definitely talk about it for several more hours, but <laughs> Uh, before we wrap things up, can you let our listeners know where can they find more of you and where can they find your book? Uh, you, you can find more about more of me and more of my book on uh, my website, uh, kathylabriola.com. I have a, uh, a web page as part of my website that has a one page teaser for each of the chapters in the book, along that. with a, each chapter. Each of the teasers has a cartoon, a really great cartoon <laughs> from artist Lacey Johnson, who illustrated my book. Um, unfortunately, even though she made uh, 16 great cartoons, one for each chapter. Only three of them ended up in the book due uh, to a situation with the publisher. So, uh, uh, but yeah. they're all on the website and you can buy the books from my website. You can buy it through Thorn Tree Press, which is the publisher. Excellent. So cool. Kathy is going to be sticking around for our 
bonus content episode available for our Patreon supporters. I think in this bonus episode, we're going to be talking about the most important lessons we've personally learned from our own breakup. So we're going to be getting a tiny bit more personal there. Uh, So if you want access to that bonus episode, go to patreon.com slash multiamory so that you can get access to that episode as well as joining our exclusive community. So we would also love to hear from you about what's helped you during breakups. Um, Do you uh, resonate with any of these kind of seven usual suspects or the four special polyamorous ones? Do you have any experience with that? We'd love to hear from you. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. And again, you can go to patreon.com slash multiamory to get access to those. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-0-5. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. Full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.